Once upon a time, in 1872, Captain David Reed Morehouse and his crew of the Brigadine del Garate was sailing from New York to Gibraltar when they happened to spot an odd sight in the middle of the ocean. It was a ship captained by his friend, Benjamin Spooner Briggs, who he had just seen a month earlier. Briggs, his wife, daughter, and crew were missing, never to be seen again. Today I have the story of the Mary Celeste on the 156th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am Jeff Kelly, your host and storyteller. Hey friends, it's time to stop binge-watching that Netflix series and enjoy a true story with me and a cup of coffee. Today I'm going to talk about the Mary Celeste. It's a story that I've been resisting telling since, well, since I started this podcast. Not that it isn't a fascinating story, it really is. It's just that too much has been said about this already. In fact, I'm sure countless history podcasts have told the story as well. I know that both the Stuff You Missed in History class and Stuff You Should Know have already done this story. The thing is, my life is really busy right now. Between work, summer family things, vacation plans, which I'll talk about a little later, and a few video projects, I really don't have time to do the research necessary for a story less known than this. I know enough about the Mary Celeste that it didn't take as much work as, well, the usual Coffee with Jeff story. But like I said, it is an interesting one, so if you don't know this story, you might enjoy it. I will, at the end, offer what I think is the most logical explanation of what happened to the crew, and to understand why I consider this explanation the best, I thought I'd first talk about Occam's Razor. Very simply, Occam's Razor states that the theory with the fewest assumptions is probably the correct one. Let's say, for instance, that I drove to a convenience store. I left my keys in the car to quickly run inside and grab a bag of chips. When I exit the store, I find my car is gone and there are no witnesses to the crime. One could hypothesize that aliens from a distant galaxy came to Earth, beamed my car onto their spaceship, and took it back to Astral World or wherever they came from. Or it could be that a thief took it. Now, there is no proof either way as to what happened, but if we take the one with the fewest assumptions, that would be the thief hypothesis, chances are that one is right. Does Occam's razor mean that I can be 100% positive that the thief hypothesis was the correct one? No, but I'll go with 99%. If you look at the alien one, we need to assume that there is life on other planets that one of these distant worlds have ships that can travel through thousands or millions of light years of space, have found this little blue-green planet, and for some reason wanted my car. That's a lot to assume. Or we can assume that a no-good human being 
took my car for a joyride. Something that we know does happen. Oh, and I know that the theory of Occam's razor is a little bit more involved than that. So if there's any of you experts out there that want to tell me, well, Jeff, technically Occam's razor states that whatever, don't bother. I get it. Anyway, we're having some great weather here in Chicagoland. And I have to get the story out of the way because I've got a charity Texas Hold'em game that I'm playing in and plan to win. So now, how about the story of a ship found adrift in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean? This podcast is part of the SciCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash SciCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. The American brigantine Marie Celeste was discovered adrift and derelict close off the coast of North Africa. She had sustained some storm damage, but she was still an able ship. Her sails were set, her cargo was intact, conditions in her cabins and forecastle seemed normal. There was no evidence of violence. Yet, not a sign was found of the crew that had manned her. Officers, men, and the captain's wife had vanished. And no acceptable explanation of their disappearance has ever been advanced. She was the first of 27 identical ships built by Joshua Davis and was given the name Amazon when she was launched on June 10, 1861. The Amazon was built at the shipyards in the village of Spencer's Island on the shores of Nova Scotia on Canada's Atlantic coast. Robert McClellan was the ship's first captain and co-owner along with a local consortium of nine people. He took her on her first job, taking timber from the five islands of Nova Scotia across the Atlantic to London. The trim little ship seemed to be plagued with bad luck right from the start, as Captain McClellan fell ill and died within 48 hours after taking command while the ship was still being loaded with its first cargo. Her next captain, John Nutting Parker, ran into a fishing weir, which is an obstruction placed in tidal waters to direct the passage of or trap fish. This happened in the Narrows off Eastport, Maine, which ripped a hole in her side. After repairs, she ran into and sank a brig in the English Channel. After two years, Parker was dismissed and she was taken over by William Thompson, who remained in command until 1867. It was in October of that year that the Amazon was grounded during a storm. The ship was so badly damaged that the owners abandoned her as a wreck. She was salvaged and auctioned off to Alexander McBean of Glacier Bay, Nova Scotia. After that, she was sold a few times to various people. One of those, Richard W. Haynes, an American mariner from New York, became her captain and she was renamed the Mary Celeste. I wondered about the name Mary Celeste, where that came from, and from what I've read, it is a bit of a mystery. One rumor is that it was supposed to be Mary Sellers, but became Celeste due to a painter's error. There was a Mary Sellers, daughter of John and Sarah Sellers, and she was killed in a tragic accident involving a horse at the age of 27. Some think that the ship was going to be called Mary Sellers in her memory. Anyway, in October 1869, 
The ship was seized by Haynes' creditors and sold to a New York consortium headed by James H. Winchester. Winchester's group put $10,000 into the ship, drastically redesigning her, so much so that she was almost a brand new ship, much bigger than the Amazon. A second deck was added, and her tonnage was increased by 84 tons. On October 29, 1872, one member of Winchester's group, Benjamin Spooner Briggs, became the ship's new captain. He was 38 years old from a Massachusetts family of mariners. He was a Christian who read from the Bible regularly and was known to be strict but fair. Benjamin Briggs was born on April 24, 1835, one of five sons of a sea captain, Nathan Briggs. He was married to his cousin, Sarah Elizabeth Cobb, and the couple had two children, a son, Arthur, born in September of 1865, and a daughter, Sophie Matilda, born in October of 1870. Briggs made a bad decision when he decided that on the ship's first voyage, which began on November 7, 1872, he would take both his wife and his two-year-old daughter with him, while his school-aged son was left behind with his grandparents. Among the seven-man crew chosen for the voyage was first mate Albert G. Richardson, who was married to a niece of Winchester and who had sailed under Briggs before, and second mate Andrew Gillian, aged 25, who was of Danish origin and born in New York City. A later testimonial described them as peaceable and first-class sailors. In a letter to his mother shortly before the voyage, Briggs declared himself immensely satisfied with the ship and crew. The Mary Celeste would be hauling 1,700 cases of raw alcohol packed safely in the hold from New York to Genoa in Italy. Legend has it that the night before the voyage, Briggs and his wife had dinner with their good friends, Captain David Ree Morehouse and his wife. Morehouse was the skipper of the Brigantine de Gracia. The de Gracia and the Mary Celeste were moored not too far from one another. On Sunday, November 3rd, Briggs wrote to his mother telling her that he intended to leave on Tuesday, adding that, Our vessel is in beautiful trim and I hope that she will have a fine passage. On November 7th, the Mary Celeste left port and it was the last time Captain Spooner Briggs, his wife, their daughter, and the seven-man crew would ever be seen again. Captain Morehouse and crew set sail eight days later on the De Gracia for Gibraltar, following a similar route as the Mary Celeste. The De Gracia had been sailing for about a month, traveling at a southeastern course about 600 miles off the coast of Portugal, when John Johnson, the helmsman, saw something off the port bow about five miles away. It was another brigantine. Captain Morehouse looked through his telescope and decided it was a ship that might need assistance. Her sails were in disarray, and she had a noticeable tilt, or yaw as it's called in maritime speak. Some of her sails were set, while others were loose. As they approached, they attempted to hail the ship several times, but didn't receive an answer. A boat with three men was sent to investigate. As the men approached they finally could make out the name written on her side. The ship was none other than the Mary Celeste. Two of the three men climbed onto the ship and found no one aboard. It must have been an eerie feeling for the men to walk around on her deck 
with only the sounds of the wind, the water, and the creeping timber to be heard. After some investigation, it appeared that the people of the Mary Celeste had left in a hurry. Evidence of this were things like razors that had been left out, as if someone was about to shave but was called away quickly. Personal possessions were left behind, like oilskins, pipe, and tobacco pouches. There was even an open bottle of medicine that seemed to indicate that whoever was taking it didn't have time to put the cork back on. The ship's one boat, sextant, and navigational tables were gone. All the beds were made except for the captain's, and the dishes were washed. Both the fore and lazaretto hatches were uncovered. There were still provisions for six months and ample drinking water. The cargo below seemed to be undamaged, and there was no evidence of violence. The binnacle, which is a waist-high case or stand on the deck of a ship, generally mounted in front of the helmsman, in which navigational instruments are placed for easy and quick reference, had been knocked or blown over, smashing the compass. The logbook lay on the desk in the mate's cabin, and the log slate, or running log, on the captain's table. The final entry in the log gave the Mary Celeste's position at 8 a.m. on November 25th as six miles northeast of Santa Maria, easternmost of the Azores. There was also a tow rope dragging in the water behind the ship. This would be a big clue later into what might have happened. When the men investigating the Mary Celeste returned to the Del Gracia, they decided to take the ship to Gibraltar to claim the salvage rights. This was a bit of a risky decision, as each ship would now be sailing with a skeleton crew. If anything should arise, such as a sudden storm or other emergency, one or both ships could be in big trouble. So now the big question, what happened to the people of the Mary Celeste? There have been many theories over the years. There was a tale about the members of the crew getting violently drunk on the ship's cargo and killing all aboard before escaping on the boat. Not much sense there, really, as to be set adrift on a small lifeboat was almost certain death. Pirates might have been to blame. They could have been from North Africa, attacked the ship and killed the crew. Yet this one doesn't hold up as nothing was taken and there were no signs of violence. Maybe it was an inside job. Captain Briggs and his family faking their deaths to claim the salvage money through a co-conspirator. How about the sea itself? Could they have fallen victim to a water spout, which is a tornado at sea, or perhaps an abrupt violent sea quake or tsunami? Again, doubtful because of the little damage there was to the ship. At one point, somebody put forth a poisoned flower theory in which flour aboard the Mary Celeste was poisoned with an hallucinogenic called ergot fungus, which caused the crew to go mad, possibly murdering one another. But then, where are the bodies? You know, salvage rights for finding an abandoned ship would have brought in quite a bit of coin. Maybe Captain Morehouse and the crew of the Del Grade came across the ship and murdered all aboard or made a deal with them to put them on an island and come back after they collected the bounty on the ship. And, of course, whenever there is something that is unexplained, aliens must be involved. Maybe a flying saucer hovered above the ship, beamed the crew aboard for, I don't know, anal probing or something. 
And I suppose the visitors of the earth took the lifeboat as well, because, well, why not? Now, if you read about the alien hypothesis, you'll read that there was a half-eaten meal aboard the ship, as if they were interrupted or taken as they ate. This is not true. This most likely comes from the 1984 Arthur Conan Doyle story based on the Mary Celeste, which he called the ship the Marie Celeste. It was a work of fiction based on the actual story, and he added a bunch of, well, fabrications to make the story more exciting. And even today, a lot of people use his story as a basis for their theories. You know, it might have been a giant squid, or a parallel universe, or was it near the Bermuda Triangle? Maybe it happened like in the 1965 Doctor Who serial adventure in which the crew abandoned the ship due to the Daleks. But the most plausible theory, the best one I've ever read, goes like this. It starts with the barrels of alcohol in the hold. No, the crew wasn't drinking the stuff, but apparently nine of the barrels were empty. They had leaked. And if these barrels had been leaking, the fumes could have ignited in a quick flash. And, well, before you say, Jeff, you didn't say anything about fire damage. No, I didn't. Dr. Adria Sella, a professor of chemistry at the University College London, created a replica of the Mary Celeste hold back in 2006. He simulated a leak of the ship's nine barrels of alcohol and ignited the vapor. What we created was a pressure wave type of explosion, said Dr. Sella. There was a spectacular wave of flame, but behind it, relatively cool air. No soot was left behind and there was no burning or scorching. Given all the facts, this replicates conditions on board the Mary Celeste. The explosion would have been enough to blow open the hatches and would have been completely terrifying for everyone on board. So imagine this. The ship is sailing and Captain Briggs is with his wife and child when powerful explosions began blowing the hatches off the hold with powerful flames. Worrying that the rest of the 1,700 barrels of alcohol might go off and blow the ship into bits, as a temporary safety measure, he uses the lifeboat for all aboard to temporarily abandon the ship until the danger passes. He ties the boat to the ship with a 400-foot-inch-thick tow rope to let the Mary Celeste pull the boat along. But tragedy to all happen when, possibly during a storm, the tow rope breaks and all ten people are left helplessly to watch their salvation take off without them. The crew probably rode as fast as they could in a panic, trying in vain to keep up with the Mary Celeste, but in the end, they watched the ship sail over the horizon. If this is truly what happened, the days that followed would have been too horrible to think about as they probably died of dehydration or starvation. Is this what happened? No one will ever really know. The story of the Mary Celeste doesn't end there, however. The Del Gracia arrived in Gibraltar on December 12, 1872, and the Mary Celeste the following morning. It was on the 18th that the court met to begin to decide on Captain Morehouse's salvage claim. The first theory put forth was the one in which the crew got drunk on the alcohol and murdered Briggs and his family and chief mate, using the boat to escape. This was quickly discounted, as Briggs was known to be firm but fair, 
and knowing that his wife and daughter would be aboard, had chosen men with upright character. Yet the court believed that no member of the Mary Celeste would have abandoned the ship without some sort of foul play, refusing any explanation that didn't have to do with piracy or murder. In February the following year, the Mary Celeste was sailed to Genoa so her freight could finally be delivered, and the crew of the Del Gracia was given 1,700 pounds, or about one-fifth the total value of the ship and cargo, as a reward, a lot less than they expected. Due to the hazards of splitting up his crew into half to bring both ships to Gibraltar, they expected two or three times more money. It seemed that Sir James Cochrane, the chief justice of Gibraltar, was very suspicious of Morehouse and his crew, and in his final statement he said they would be under suspicion in the court of public opinion forever. Because soon after the court hearings, newspaper stories of bloodshed murder began to appear all over the world, the Mary Celeste became a very unpopular sea vessel. No one wanted to touch it. It was finally sold at a considerable loss to the consortium that owned her. Over the next few years, the owner of the Mary Celeste changed many times. Its end came in January 1885. The ship ran into the Rachelois Reef of Haiti, a known hazard. It struck the reef and was heavily damaged and could never escape. Captain Gilman C. Parker claimed the insurance on his valuable cargo and also sold the salvageable cargo for $500 to the American Council. The problem was, it was a scam. Parker and a group of Boston shippers had filled the Celeste with worthless goods, but insured it as if it was filled with valuable ones, taking out a $30,000 insurance policy, which would have been equal to over $800,000 today. He and his crew purposely grounded it into a known hazard. Now, he probably would have got away with it if he had only claimed the insurance but because he also sold the rights to the cargo, he got himself into trouble. The American consul went out to the ship only to discover that its cargo was rubbish. This began an investigation by the insurers, and eventually Parker was tried in Boston for conspiracy to commit insurance fraud. Parker was additionally charged with willfully casting away the ship, a crime known as baritary, and at that time it carried the death penalty. In the end, Parker was set free on the condition that he paid back every penny of the money. Yet his reputation was ruined, and he died penniless just three months later. It is said that one of his co-defendants went mad, and another one committed suicide. Writer Paul Baggs, who wrote the book Mary Celeste, The Greatest Mystery of the Sea, said of this, If the court of man could not punish these men... The curse that deviled the ship since her first skipper, Robert McClellan, had died on her maiden voyage could reach beyond the vessel's watery grave and exact its own terrible retribution. But Morehouse soon found himself facing government accusations that he was involved in the disastrous fate of the Mary Celeste. And you were the first to board the Mary Celeste. Is that correct? That's right. Myself and my second mate, Mr. Wright. The government's chief investigator was a flamboyant Irishman named Frederick Sally Flood. He was very suspicious. Uh, he had a certain bend for the dramatic, I think. He kind of immediately saw foul play. And all during the proceedings, he tried to, uh, to indicate that, uh, you know, there had been some sort of conspiracy involved here. 
Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old goal and listen to the sad sack. A little bit before I go. Oddly, the Mary Celeste is often called a ghost ship. I find that odd because there are no stories of spirits haunting the ship. A quick note to all the clever writers out there. Just because something is abandoned doesn't make it haunted. Personally, I don't believe in hauntings, but if I did, the Mary Celeste wouldn't be one unless there were rumors of ghosts. Another thing, like in many of these stories, you can find a lot of bad information. Like that one Sir Arthur Conan Doyle made up about them eating dinner. In June 1883, the Los Angeles Times retold the Mary Celeste story with invented details, like, Every sail was set. The tiller was lashed fast. Not a rope was out of place. The fire was burning in the galley. The dinner was standing untested and scarcely cold. The log written up to the hour of her discovery. There are many false accounts written up like this because, well, as you know... Writers want to sell papers, and the more mysterious a tale it is, the better people are going to like it. Think about that if you find yourself at a paranormal website telling the tale of something like the Mary Celeste. And now how about the ending credits? Just a quick reminder, we could use a few shekels if you have any to spare to help keep Psychon afloat. Please think about it. You could be a huge help to us. Just go to Psychon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N dot F-M, and look for the Patreon link at the top. And of course, a sincere thank you, and I mean that, to all of you who already support the show. Speaking of Psychon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? There's a lot there. Just go to Psychon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you're invited to join. Story ideas are always welcome, and you can use any of these places to help me out. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin to help financially, go over to iTunes and leave a review or a few stars. Those really help. I haven't got a new review in ages. And remember, links to all the sources that I used to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network. To my wife of 34 years for being my wife of 34 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost the show on Facebook and Twitter. You folks will always have a special place in my heart. I'll be back in two weeks with another hopefully thrilling story. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee.
friend. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Met a girl from Bean Town. Jeff was always hanging around. She drank tea, but that was okay. She was the dawn of Jeff's new day. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Or coffee with Jeff. Years go by and life's filled with change. Sometimes your plans get rearranged. He's seen it all and he's weathered it too. So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee or coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff.